Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychomedy. Here's part two of my chat with the brilliant Marcus Brigstock. I was with Marcus at the comedy store the night before this conversation, and we start part two with a recording of an interaction that happened right at the end of this gig. Let's find out why Marcus was cross. Listen, don't sit there in the front row saying it's not funny when you're surrounded by people who have the manners to listen and who are laughing. It's okay for you to not find it funny, but shut up. Everybody's paid to come out and don't be the guy who doesn't realise that your behaviour affects the people near you because it does. And if you don't if you don't change your behaviour, I will destroy your credit score. <laughs> Trust me, my data self is doing it, right? Fuck it. Yeah, fuck you, I sold out. I had a marriage to pay for. It. Oh, it's nice that I'm sitting here laughing at my set. <laughs> so, so that guy, when I uh, the routine just before that is a really is a really strong bit that yeah, I just your closing bit. I just found one day and and it it's worked for a while and I really like it. It's it's slow, it's delicate, it, it builds. And the guy in the front row, who was the same guy who asked if we were trying for kids, who'd been noisy throughout, he was one of those, every time you said something that he recognised, he turned to the person next to him and went, I know about that thing! <laughs> and they're hopeless. But during that bit, uh, people were really laughing a lot. And I know how to land that routine. Yeah. He said again and again and again, that's not funny. This isn't funny. That's not funny. Was he saying that to you? Yeah, really loud. God. But but a bit to me and a bit to the person next to him, desperate to be heard. And I'm like, I mean, I meant what I said there. You know, like, of course I want everyone to find everything funny. That's that's my responsibility. They've paid to be made to laugh. That's what I'm trying to achieve. Hmm. But if you don't find a bit funny, if you find it offensive, and, and it offends you enough that you want to, Get up on your feet and say something. Oh. Then we'll, we'll go to and fro and see what happens. It's fine. But he just wanted to tear it down. 
by saying that's not funny, that's not funny, that's not funny. And objectively, most of the room definitely thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of most interviews with stand-ups will ask about the H word. Uh, the, what's the best heckle? What's it like being heckled? And da, da, da. And the truth is, most comics I know probably haven't been heckled in a year, <laughs> two years, five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Heckled, I mean. Someone yelling something out, some confrontation, some comment funnier than yours or whatever. Yeah. It's so rare. Yeah. What happens, and it's got much worse since digital communication, is people just have a chat. Yeah, yeah. But people have much less awareness of how their behaviour affects the people around them. Yeah. I thought it was such a great moment, but you're, you're aware, I guess, that no, virtually no one else in the room has heard him yes. apart from you. Yeah. So looking back at that, what, <laughs> what's, uh, I mean, I thought it was great and it's such a great, and you said it in such a great way and there was such a good payoff with the Experian ad, but I guess only half <laughs> yeah. the room understood that yeah, joke, perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, the whole room united against this man. Yeah. It was a really nice moment. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's easy as a comic to get drawn to the, the, the person who isn't liking it. Yeah. and focus way too much of your attention on that person and play yeah. a whole room like they're not liking what you're doing when in fact it's only one person. How much of the gig were you looking at that guy and being angry oh, about uh, him? Oh, half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Half. I was like, to begin with, it felt playful. I was like, okay, you're one of those, you comment after yeah. after a thing rather than just laughing and being ready for the next joke like most sane people do and that felt like a game to me that was fun I'm like okay I'm going faster now I'm going a little louder I'm going to move more physically mm. and I will have your attention yes I will and and you will not have time to turn to your friend and say this because I will I will have your attention and I will take it with me and I, I'm saying this now I mean obviously these are not wholly constructed thoughts when I'm on stage but that's what was going on for me. Yeah. But then when I had left him behind and was pressing on with something more uh, slower, softer and quieter at the end there, that's when he threw all his toys out of the pram and just started being babyish, oh. shouting, this isn't funny, that's not funny, it isn't funny. <laughs> and at that point then, you know, then there's a confrontation. But yeah. but it's interesting to me, I'm not the only one either. Sally Ann Hayward, who was hosting last night, said she's done the same. But I have much more over the last 10 years stopped as a comic and not sought to be even slightly funny, but spoken to someone in the audience and said to them, you need to be aware that your behaviour <laughs> yeah. is affecting the people around you. <laughs> They have not come to listen to your conversation. You have to know this. Please, please don't be fooled by what your phone delivers to you. I've done all this on stage, just, just spoken it at people and just said, don't be fooled into thinking that how you behave when you're out has no effect on other people because it does and it mm. matters. And you yeah. actually break stuff when you do this. You, you, you break what's special. These live performances, these moments where we all come together for comedy or music or theatre or whatever it may be, 
are so special. Yeah. They really are. They're like really precious and you can break it so easily just by being selfish. So I'll very often just not seek to be at all funny. And then I'll probably say something gross at the end to yeah. get to sort of force a laugh back into the energy mm. of it. But I've, I've long since given up making some generating laughs from the dick in the room because yeah. they never understand that what they're doing is not contributing to the laugh. You know, they always think, oh, yeah, 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 me and you, mate, we're a double act now. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not. Yeah. And the worst thing of all for me is drunk people have no idea when it's over. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't had a drink for nearly 29 years, but I've been around a lot of drunk people and drunk people do not know when it's over. And yeah. when you shut them down, sometimes aggressively, sometimes with a great clever flourish that you find out of nowhere yeah they don't know when it's done and they pipe up again and then it just gets so boring yeah <laughs> that was a great moment and um yeah a great gig all around and it's so good to uh hear you back gigging yeah. regularly again. it felt it great. great man it really yeah. felt great i really i really loved it so you mentioned uh theater a second ago can we just mm. talk about theater because uh, you've been doing a lot of a lot of that the last yeah. uh, couple of years so um, the last two years, 2017, 2018, you were in Barnum. That's uh, yeah. the Menier Chocolate Factory. And there's a few interesting things. I didn't see <laughs> no that. Kidding. I didn't see that. I know people that saw it. And um, a few interesting things that I read um, about that, particularly a Guardian article you did leading up to that. Mm. Um, so Barnum, you took on the role of Barnum. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree, quite an ambitious role to take on, made no famous kidding. by Michael no Crawford. And it involves being the greatest showman, singing, dancing, circus skills, including a tightrope walk. Yeah. Now, when you were offered that part, um, <laughs> yeah. what went through your heads? Um, I what thought, was the, what was the so a, num a number of things. Uh, um, I thought... <laughs> I thought this is a, a brilliant challenge. Yeah. I thought, I don't think I can do this, but that was brief. And then I thought, try, yeah. just try. And that's it. And it, it Barnum was a, a very interesting. Try as in, you, you kind of. Try to do it. Yeah. Just, just Do you think you do could it. do it at that moment? Did you think well, you had no doubts or. Well, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm not a very good singer. Yeah, no, I'm really not. I have my moments, you know, really brilliant moments. But yeah. but but I'm not wholly in control of when they arrive. And a good singer is. Um, I walked over five kilometers on a tightrope from when the show opened to when it ended. Yeah, which is a lot. And most nights I fell off. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, here's what happened with Barnum. Uh, I wasn't ready when it opened. I wasn't yep. ready on press night and yep. I didn't read the reviews, but I know that the reviews were, if not terrible, that me as P.T. Barnum, that the reviews were terrible for that. And it was very hard mm. because, because, because here's what happened during rehearsals. I got up early to go for a singing lesson and then I arrived early if I could at rehearsals and during the breaks 
I grabbed the dance captain to go over the steps again. And in, during the next break, I grabbed the assistant musical director to go over the songs again. And when I wasn't on stage, which was rare, I was studying my lines. And I tried to stay vulnerable during rehearsals so that I could find new stuff. And when rehearsals ended at six or seven in the evening, I then went out to somewhere out beyond the Millennium Dome, like a sort of four, uh, 40 minutes on from there to do an hour or two hours of tightrope training every day for the month of rehearsals. Yeah. So I did, hand on heart, give it my all. Yeah. Probably tried harder at that than really anything else I've done. And I knew when we opened that I wasn't ready. I couldn't get across the wire for one thing. Mm. The songs were landing sometimes and not at other times. I felt great about my performance as a whole. Mm. And, you know, P.T. Barnum's a, an odd character. I mean, what have we got there? We've got a man who made a lot of money exhibiting people who we would now call uh, differently abled or disabled mm. uh, and live animals. <laughs> um, and in the musical, his loving wife, Charity, is rewarded for her constance where he's concerned and her steadying but kind hand with him running off to have an affair, mm. which is a thing I actually did. You know, I was married and I fell for someone in a production, had an affair and destroyed my marriage. So Barnum was a pretty emotional thing for me to mm. do and to have my ass handed to me in the way that I know I did without having read them mm. was really hard. And also gratitude, man. There wasn't a single performance I gave where I didn't feel fantastic just before I went on stage about the opportunity to try to tell a story about a man who set aside the animals and the and the human freak show and all the rest of it. Mm. What did Barnum do? Pre-cinema, he brought light and wonder into people's lives. Mm. You know, that thing, people forget you might, if you lived in America at that time, you wouldn't have ever been to the cinema. You probably didn't have a radio in your house. Mm. You may have done. You may have seen a photograph of an elephant, but maybe, maybe only once. You probably have seen a pencil, pencil drawing. Barnum's Circus, after the American Museum, came to town. And not only did an elephant walk up Main Street, it had two acrobats on top of it doing handstands. Mm. while a band the size and scale of which you'd never heard before marched through your town wearing colours that, that, that would blow your mind. Mm. And I found that absolutely captivating. And, and I leant really hard into what Jim Henson and The Muppet Show meant to me as a kid, this colour and light that, that that brought into my life. And so that's how I played Barnum. Yeah. as this very childlike, very naive, very kind, very loving man mm. who was captivated himself by these amazing things and wanted to take them all with him. And that's probably not an accurate portrayal of who P.T. Barnum was, but it'll do very well for that, for that musical. Mm. So I really loved it. And um, 
So I was despite, very, very sad when it was over. Yeah. So despite all those challenges, you were taking at that time all, all the positives you could from it, the opportunity. Well, as you, you say, that Barnum being this visionary and being you must. inspired by him. Yeah, absolutely. You it's must great. do that. And, you know, I never, I, I never played it, even in the couple of days after the reviews came out. I never played that role in defiance of anyone even like Quinton Letts or, you know, any, I never did it in defiance of what they thought. Mm. I just did it. You know, Laura Pitt-Pulford, who played Cherry, was an incredible person to play opposite. And the whole company were fabulous. And they gently gathered around me when they knew what had happened. And, you mm. know, I, I did feel responsible for their well-being because my performance had not been enough for the show to be a runaway success with a, you know, with a transfer and, and, and this is it. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just did, uh, do you know what I can honestly say? I did the very best I could. And yeah. I felt, I felt after maybe we'd been up and running maybe three, four weeks, which is a, which is too late, mm. long time after press night, that we were showing an, the audiences who came, we were giving them something really special. You know, it was, we'd done it up like an old circus tent and it was, the story was told like Barnum remembering this magical story. Yeah. And and being very sad at the end that it, that it was over and something new had come along. Mm. Um, and yeah. it just ended with me at this child's piano um, playing three notes from come follow the band yeah and it oh man it was so beautiful so magical oh that's so great man yeah i loved it i really loved it and you know i mind that i didn't deliver a performance that meant we transferred it and but i think a lot of those not that i'll read out the reviews now but a lot of the reviews the only thing they were saying was about that tightrope that you just didn't get across and i just <laughs> yeah, think yeah, yeah. the difference between that and what you're saying now is kind of wonderful that, yeah, you didn't get across the, you said you, you, you fell a lot of times, but yeah. what they didn't see was what you got out of it and everything else that you delivered and yeah. possibly. And you know, the mad thing is the nights when I got on that tightrope and walked from one side to the other without falling off, mm. the audience went. <laughs> <laughs> the nights when I got halfway <laughs> teetered, carried on singing and and tipped and stretched and pulled and sweated and kept on singing and then fell anyway. And then, as Barnum improvised how to get back on the rope, yeah. played to the audience and had them in gales of laughter. Yeah. If I fell twice, I would I would say, Well, clearly I can't do it, sir. It's your turn now. That's how the circus works. And, and I'd like try and get someone else to do it. And then I'd get up and, I, and I'd do it. But the nights when I did it second or third time, the audience went berserk yeah. to the extent that I know because they asked me whether I'd faked the fall or whether that was all built in. I never once faked falling off that yeah. rope because it hurt every time I fell. <laughs> I still have a scar on my leg from it. Like it really hurt. I was in pain for months. And how did you uh, but, feel when you got across and the... Uh, oh, oh, well, the first falling. night, 
So the first night I walked it, so the, 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 the company are all watching, the, the cast are all watching mm. as I cross from one side to the other. Yeah. And the music hits its final notes and there's a big finale and they form this, um, these incredible circus-based tableaus. And um, the first night I walked it, one of the company, I, I could hear them went, <laughs> fuck yeah! <laughs> And not one of them made it into the um, into the shape they were meant to form because and I, I kid you not I was in tears like half half of them were were crying because we go straight into the interval then half of them were crying all of them hugging me they're like oh my god you I feel really emotional talking about it now mm. because they they wanted me to do it so much yeah oh it was magic. It was was magic. It was great. (laughs) And yeah, there wasn't a single time when I walked to the other side and made it that I didn't feel absolutely thrilled. (laughs) And by the way, if you look up, look at the ceiling in here. Can you see oily fingerprints on the ceiling? That's from where I had a a tight wire set up in here for over a month. And the only way I could have it was so that, uh, not deliberately, but so that I could touch the ceiling. And that's where I grabbed the ceiling <laughs> to stop me falling off. That's and I really want to- memory there. Yeah, I really want to paint over them. And part of me is like, no. nope, that's the signs of how hard I tried. Like this scar. room, this, it, it, my house, as you see, is open plan, right? Yeah. We couldn't use this room because I had a, a high tension metal wire rigged across the middle of it on a massive frame that could support some tons of of pressure on a wire so yeah man I, i'm <laughs> i'm really proud of it i tried so hard no, and it was great that's beautiful great. and um i mean i've heard you just one final point on that um yeah. um i've heard you talk about it as one of the biggest challenges in your career and of course yeah. we haven't talked about it in this podcast all the amazing things you've done over over 25 years, all the radio, yeah, all man. the television, the films. Yeah. You know, we can just go on your Wikipedia to, to learn about those, and I'm sure people know all about them. Sailing was that, from was... Norway to Greenland across what used to be part of the Arctic Circle, mm. or used to be part of the ice cap, rather. Yeah, I've all done these some amazing things. Stuff. Was there something about the tightrope and the fact it came? In the last couple of years, and you say you've been changing with your yeah. faith and becoming stronger, and you say you're getting emotional there talking about those moments. Was there was there something big about that uh, piece that you did and that particular? I mean, I look now up at the ceiling, yeah, and mm. the, the, it's covered in yes. the, in the scars <laughs> of that time. Oily fingerprints, um, yeah. Is there yes. something having come through that you're? Uh, you know, you mentioned you know you kind of weight loss and coming through that and those yeah. challenges and your alcoholism. Um, you seem in a really happy place now. Was there something about that, a big moment in your life? Yeah, there was. There yeah. was, definitely. And, you know, there's something about the version of P.T. Barnum that I played that that connects me really closely with um, being an entertainer. You know, I, wa- I do want to talk about the mess of politics and I do want to be angry about all sorts of things and I do want to push into areas where people feel a little bit uncomfortable you know because it's fun and it's interesting Mm. but fundamentally like give people a 
give people a great night out, you know, be an entertainer, make things. Yeah. See up the top there, there's a, I've got one of those things that most people have been given for Christmas. One of those, like, it looks like the old cinema yeah. thing. And mine says, make the next thing. Yeah. And it's just a, that's my job. Mm. Right. So I do, I feel in a very, um, I'm very connected to these ideas about, about making stuff. Mm. Like my job is not being on telly. My job is not making money. My job is not being on the radio. It's not even making people laugh. My job is I make things, Mm. right? I make stuff and the kind of stuff I make involves mostly performance but not exclusively Mm. so I'm always doing my job if I'm making things and I'm not doing my job if I'm not making things and I'm not making things if I'm just rocking up doing this doing the same thing again and again and again which you know we all do as comics you get a good 20 you get a good 30 you get a good hour and then you go and do it and it's right to do it enough times that people see it yeah but my job is making the next thing. Yeah. And you've always done that. And it's I have always done that. Uh, but it, but now, as opportunities um, are disappearing from my, uh, from my work life, you know, like the trajectory of not all, but most performers, comedians, is that it starts to go well. You get traction. Then it goes really well. Then it goes great. Yep. Then if you're lucky, you hold for a while and then it begins to go. And quite rightly, you know, when I first hosted Have I Got News For You, it was because the 45-year-old who'd been hosting it before was moved aside. Mm. And I was 30-something and I got that job. Well, now I'm 46 mm. and I'm a little bit being moved aside for people like my own wife. <laughs> <laughs> who's brilliant, right? <laughs> She's so funny and amazingly not talent's a weird thing to say. She's amazingly skillful mm. at playing the piano, singing and improvising. She's also brilliant as a comedian, <laughs> right? But it's it is right. On the one hand, you can't just roll over and go, "Oh well, I guess I'm one of the straight straight white men and I should Step aside now, we've had our time. <laughs> you've got to struggle, you've got to make the next thing. But also remember that there's lots of people making the next thing and, and their oh. next thing might meet a bigger audience than yours. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, this stuff is painful. It's really painful. Oh. I feel less wanted now than I felt four years ago, comedically. Oh. I'm more wanted in my personal life. <laughs> Uh, which is lovely but you know I was getting booked for have I got news for you every Mm. series either to host it or be a panellist then I was getting booked every other series then I was getting date checked now they don't call I didn't do anything wrong Mm. it's not that I'm not still good at that but there's a lot of us but but it's it's no good pretending it, it doesn't sting a little bit because of course your feelings are bound up in this stuff you know Mm. I do feel wanted when an audience is delighted by the things I'm doing Mm. and you know obviously that involves being booked for that thing and and so it stings a little bit and so you have to or I have to 
lean into this more spiritual or philosophical stuff and say, okay, well, just remember, you were never entitled to be on TV or to play live at the Apollo or anything. You just were doing that at that time. And now I'm, now I'm doing lots of things and I, I'm still on telly sometimes. I'm still on radio a fair bit, you know, and I'm still gigging loads and I'm very happy and creatively very happy and very connected to what I'm doing. Mm. And some of it's tough, you know, that's, that's probably the most self-conscious self-pity moan anyone will have ever listened to. (laughs) No, not not at all. Well, you know what I mean? Like there's a part, of course, there's a part of me that much more simplistically is going, it isn't fair. I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) I should still be on these shows all the time. (laughs) But hey, you've married the person that's replaced you. Which is fine. The money's still coming into the same account. (laughs) Which is fine. It's a perfect scenario. It's no one's fault that my dad is not as interesting as Jack Whitehall's dad. <laughs> That's no one's fault. And anyway, he is as interesting. He just, whatever has happened, you know? <laughs> but I guess the thing is as well, I love, look, there's a bunch of people who are really, really great at comedy for whom it doesn't happen much. Mm. And they are brilliant at comedy. So there's that and that's tough. Mm. But on the other side of that, there's no one who makes it in comedy who's no good at it. Yeah. Nobody. Because it, you, can't, you can't pretend. You can't fake it. Mm. You, it. It just doesn't work. If you're no good at it, you don't go anywhere. Mm. It's certainly true that people who are too busy to give their best efforts to what they're making still get commissioned for stuff. Mm. And the stuff they make is not as good as it might be. But fundamentally... They're brilliant at what they do. Mm. You know, I mean, who's, so who's really, Jack Hall, Jack Whitehall's on so many things right now. Romesh Ranganathan's on so many things right now. Mm. Josh Widdicombe is on so many things right now. Russell Howard, mm. um, you know, Sarah Millican, Rachel Paris, you know, like <laughs> loads. There isn't, there isn't one of those people mm. who fundamentally isn't exceptionally good at what they do. Mm. Um, you can't, you, it just doesn't stick if you're no good at it or if you're yeah. lazy or if you're too dysfunctional to make it last. And we've seen those people. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they come along and, and bang, there they are, they're amazing. And they disappear quickly because they're too dysfunctional. Yeah. But it's, it's easy to forget that a lot of people like Mickey Flanagan make it around, have made it around you kind of in their 40s, around your age. You have done yeah, so yeah, much yeah, since yeah. university, so much. Yeah. And this could, do, do, do you feel... You know, we're nearing the end of our time here. Do you feel in any way in terms of the things that you've been through and the things that we've talked about today, this could be this could be the start. It's always the start. As you yes. say, you've got to sign on your wall, make the next thing. The next thing is the yeah. start. Rather yes, than, it is. It, yeah. it totally is. Yeah. And, and it's really dangerous to start thinking about a wind down creatively. Mm. You know, it, it, so what's the next thing? Well, I can tell you, I'm making the next thing right now. And the next thing is a show called um, Too Much. And it's about whether or not we are capable of processing what there is now. So we're sitting here and you look across, right, all my records there. Each one of those records I have bought because I love the music that's on it. And you have to stand up and turn it over halfway through if you want to hear all of it. Sometimes Mm. you have to get up 
three times uh, or six times, you know, because they're double or triple albums, right? There's, a, there's like a connection to that. Now, my kids have every song that's ever been made, <laughs> as do I on my phone, and I use it that way as well. Yeah. We also have all the porn that ever existed one click away <laughs> at any given time. That's why I thought there was scratch marks on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have one click away because it remembers my last order, a takeaway <laughs> big enough that could be delivered to this door in like 20 minutes mm. with, you know, like, and it's too much, too much, too much, too much, too much. Everywhere we look. And the danger with that, what fascinates me about it is the danger is, if you're not careful, you end up at Brexit. You end up trying to travel backwards. There's too much, there's too much food and there's too much music and too many programs and, and, and there's too much pornography and there are too many people ringing too many people and texting too much. There's too much. Bah! Make it all stop and travel back in time. And it's bullshit and it's really dangerous. When was it better? When was it better? Probably never. And there were always trolls. You know, someone did a hand painting on the wall of a cave and another person went in and went, that's a bit shit. That, that's bollocks what you've made there. It always existed. So the question for me with this new show, the basket that I'm throwing all of these ideas into is, how can we, with all of this stuff, still be okay? Mm. How can I eat the right amount of food for me so that I don't become fucking massive again and get really sad? How can I, like with porn, for example, I, I now for nearly three years have not looked at any um, stimulating material at all. No porn, no stuff that's even vaguely stimulating because I studied what it does to my, to all brains, but to an addict brain, and yeah. it's deadly. It's free, unaccountable crack cocaine. <laughs> so for me, I just stay well away from it. That's a choice where, where that's concerned. What am I gonna do about, about music? How can I listen to music slowly enough that it really has my attention? So that's the basket into which I'm throwing all these new ideas. That's, yeah. that's the new idea, the new show. Yeah. And it feels rich and full of possibilities and exciting to me. And, and, and of course I can get caught up in, well, who will come? Yeah. Will my position on Brexit have made my next gig in Lincoln difficult? Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> but will I, for those that do come, give them a really good show that I've thought about incredibly carefully that's very funny. Yes, I'm certain of that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so great. Man. Wonderful. Well, we are at the end of our time here. Thank you, Marcus. That was... Uh, I feel better. That was great. <laughs> that was great. Really, really great. Um, great to see you last night. And uh, I'm just uh, really excited to, uh, to see the next stage. And, Thanks, uh, man. It's nice to hang out as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. That is our show for today, but join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pod People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed and there's video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at PodPeopleUK, at PsychomedyPod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Marcus Brigg. Lots of love. Thanks again, Marcus. 
Thanks, man. See you again next week. Ball.